turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 7. When you choose to be a Bible book preacher, you don't get to pick the subject. See, that's why men love topical preaching. They can dodge all the hard issues and just have five lollipops they give everywhere. But I made a choice years ago. I'll let God pick the subject, and I'll preach it. Okay? So if you don't like these subjects, you ought to ask God to write another Bible. Uh, Are you headed for a divorce? Um, There's a lot of folks that are in the setting at church. We've, we've always got several in process all the time. Uh, because you've been in church, according to the statistics, uh, and there's debate about them all over, the cons- conservative people represented by Southern Baptists say that the family that prays together, reads the Bible together, well, they've done one publication that there's only 1% of divorce among them. Yet George Barna comes along and does a study that Southern Baptists threw a fit about. They didn't like, they didn't like his uh, statistics because he has a whole lot of folks that he says are born again that Southern Baptists don't believe are born again. Anybody that says they're a Christian, you know, comes under the uh, uh, figures. And, but they come in about 40 to 50 percent, either one, that People that aren't claiming to be Christians, that aren't in church, the culture's running about 40 to 50%. It, it boomed right after World War II, and then it started declining in the 50s. The 60s with the sexual revolution, it shot up again. And so now they figure we're about, uh, you hear the figure 50% all the time, for sure between 40 to 50 to 55% is what the culture is affected by in divorce. I would just think in this church today, I would imagine at least 40% of you have been divorced or married someone that was. It's just that way. Uh, I had a man tell me one time, uh, just to make me feel good as a pastor, he said, you know what? In all of my years of pastoring, I've only had three couples ever get a divorce. How are you doing? I said, well, half the folks I pastor have been divorced. Would you pastor them? Do they have to be all together for you to get to pastor them? Let me tell you something about the Bible. And it came up with this years ago. We're told to preach the ideal, and we live with the real. Let me give you an example of that. Adam, do not eat of the fruit of the tree. Do you have it? Eve, you're included. Don't. Do you get it? Do you understand it? Do I speak plainly enough? We ought to preach, do it right, shouldn't we? But the sad reality is we're living in the real where most folks haven't done it right. They call them sinners. And so the whole race is dying. The whole race is suffering the consequence of the wrong choice of our first parents. 
But you come to morals, I tell young people, don't fornicate. The real is they do. Now what do we do? Shoot them? Is there any hope after the real? Do we have a message for real people, or do we just beat them to death that they haven't kept the ideal? This attitude is true in the church, especially in yesterday. Uh, the more conservative the church is, the harder they're going to be on you if you've been divorced. And I divorced people for years. I've had them ask. We said, well, uh, could I ever teach a Sunday school class? Uh, no, you, you have to be near perfect because all of our teachers have been blameless all their life. Because this is unpardonable sin. And if it's not, we're going to make them feel like it. Because you must have been a naughty person to have ever gone through a divorce. How naive, how insensitive, how stupid, and how ungracious if we've been that way. I want us to look today, survey, and ask yourself one thing I think you need to be aware you're plenty capable of getting a divorce even now. I uh, have a dear couple. I, I know both of them. I count them precious. But after 30 years, they are getting a divorce. And the words uh, that I can quote, because I don't want you to know these people, uh, the words went this way from the wife. She says, you've been a good father, You've been a good husband. I love you, but I'm just not in love anymore. So let's make this as amiable as possible, knowing that while I'm getting the lawyer to sue you and to split everything up and break up this marriage, know all the time I'm doing this in my heart, I still love you. Don't take it personal. Well, let's do a little Bible study on what the Bible says about marriage and divorce. They got divorces in the Old Testament. We know they did. Deuteronomy 24. We may touch on it later. But start in Luke. Let's just take the two plain passages and then a passage that's a little bit different. Are you there? You get these notes? Okay. If I find any in the toilet, you owe me 20 bucks. Don't you throw this away. You better be praying over this tonight. Uh, your wife may say she's in love with you, but she's going to divorce you. Be careful. Uh, it's, it almost is nauseating to even say it. Uh, verse 18. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Wow, pretty strong stuff. He just leaves it there. We go back to Mark, which is almost identical, but notice what Mark says. Mark 10. Verse 2, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. 
And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away, Deuteronomy 24. The phrase in the Hebrew, if you find anything of indecency in her, you may send her away. Now, the rabbis got into an argument in the day of Christ. They had the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. And they split over what the thing of indecency happened to be. Because we don't know exactly what the thing of indecency. It must not be adultery because under the law they could stone you. And so it was hard to have many adulteresses remain alive if they carried out the law. Now the big issue is there wasn't a whole lot of stonings that happened. It just They didn't carry it out, but they have the law. It was on the books. If either party commits adultery, stone them. So the other party didn't have to wrestle with it, whether they had a right to remarry or not. They've already been stoned. They could go on. But the big issue, the rabbis debated, what is the thing of indecency found in the woman in the sight of the man? Since that's all we've got. And... You had one school that said, if she burns the toast, that's indecent. So you wanted to be sure, as a young lady, you learned to cook good. And some of you, you just, you just flunked out. Because they're not talking about Burger King. Uh, and they could just about anything. If a woman just did anything, get her divorced. And we've got rabbinic teachings. We've got rabbinic writings. You can divorce her for anything you feel. She's indecent in your eyes. Divorce her. You got every right. Get rid of her. So anything, any cause, like America. Then you have the stricter school that said only if there is uh, moral infidelity. So here we go. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because her hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God's joined together, let not man separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman, commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. There seems in these two verses, nothing, there's no breathing room for any basis for divorce and remarriage. If you do it and you get married again, it's adultery. That's, and that's where many conservatives have landed. But there's two other passages that Jesus said. Look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except, and this is legitimate, it's in the manuscript, don't tear it out. Jesus didn't stutter here. He said it. Except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. The Jews were divorcing for any cause, 
Christ gives the only thing that was permissible at this time, and that is for moral infidelity, any kind of sexual impropriety in the marriage could constitute grounds for a divorce. We go to the same issue in Matthew 19. Are you there? I'm listening to the pages. And all you techies, just get it there. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, adultery, fornication was the word pornea, but if you look at Kittle's lexicon, pornea was the broad word that stood for bestiality, adultery, fornication, any kind of homosexuality, any kind of non-sanctioned sexuality came under this label of pornea. So it's not just unmarried people. It covered the whole gamut. Except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples are shocked at this. This is strict. We haven't been hearing this. And then he says, not everyone can accept this word, but only those whom it has been given. Some are eunuchs for the kingdom of God, and we'll stop there. But Christ said only, only for marital infidelity do I grant you the right. No other reasons. All this other stuff is petty. All this other stuff you ought to get over. All these inventions you've made for getting a divorce. I say to you one, one thing alone, and this was a strict view. The men say, well, man, if it's that strict, if we lose all these grounds for getting a divorce, we might as well be a eunuch. He said, I don't care. Why don't you be a eunuch? Not all of you can accept it, though. It might be just fine. So Christ narrowed it down to the one issue. Now Paul is going to pick up where Christ left off because Christ has not addressed the issues that the Corinthians are asking Paul about. Paul is responding in this letter to questions that Christians ask in 50 AD about the Christian life. And we get it in the epistle but they were asking the questions. Let's go to 1 Corinthians and see what he's dealing with there. <clears throat> Verse 8, now to the unmarried and the widows, and the unmarried probably includes divorced people, not just uh, virgins, as it were, that he deals with later. I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Many, the strong argument is that Paul had been married at one time. Being a member of the Sanhedrin, he had to be married. So he's either been divorced or widowed. So uh, strong arguments are made that he was, had been a married man at one time. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Widows, unmarried, those been divorced, whatever. He's saying, I would that you would remain like I've chose to remain unmarried. And God's given me the gift to remain unmarried and remain sexually pure. 
But not every man has this gift of self-control to the same degree Paul did. We all should have the fruit of the Spirit called self-control, right? I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. How much do you believe in? Cast out a demon? What about that demon you're living within you? Called sexual passion. Well, Holy Ghost just dies when it comes to sex. He doesn't die. He gives self-control. See, I'm back. The other boys, you don't have to amen for. I'm just listening. If you don't help, it's going to be a long sermon, but I ain't going to stop. As long as I got my voice. I just wish I could yell at you right now, but I've already wasted it on Carolyn. No, not really. Uh, If they can't control themselves, get married. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. In other words, this is a word from God, but Christ never addressed the issue I'm now going to address for you. I'm talking, he never addressed the married folks this way. So I'm giving you an additional revelation. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. What's he saying? All right, believers at the Corinthian church, I'm telling you, don't be having an easy divorce or even separating. Sometimes separation means a divorce. Don't be even separating. I don't want you to do that, but if you do separate, here's your options. If you decide you can't live with this person, he's writing these believers, your options are one of two things. Continue unmarried, and few do that, or be reconciled to your mate. May you need a cooling off period, whatever. Uh, if you separate, think things over, and he's talking to two believers, and then be reconciled. I think one of the great tragedies I see in Christian divorce, when both claim to be believers, who gets away with having a hard heart? I thought in the new birth you were given a new heart. I thought in the new birth he took away the heart of flesh and the heart of stone. I mean, uh, it's like uh, these Christians that have been mad at God for 15 years. Friend, don't call yourself a child of God and think you have the right to be mad. Get over it. Who are you to tell the potter how he has to do things? You don't have any right to be mad at God. Now, he knows when you are. You don't have to deny it. And we don't have the... Uh, And we don't have to be quiet to say, you know what your problem is? You're acting like a hard-headed fool. This is your creator. This is God. This is not a Santa Claus. He controls your breath. He controls whether you're going to get cancer or not. He controls whether you're going to make it home from church alive today. Did you know God is in charge? And he doesn't need your vote of approval for being God. He's got the job. You can't vote him in or out. He doesn't need to consult you, bimbo, for being God. You can't hardly balance your checkbook. And you try to tell God how to be God? If you had your way, you'd go to hell. You would have never been saved. He had to track you down. 
He had to invade your life. He had to show you your need of him. We do not have the right to be mad at God except for about one second then spend the next hour repenting. You are God. I'm but flesh. You are running your universe. I'm glad you put me into your plan. You're not into my plan. I didn't pull God over into the plan. God, I'd let, like to include you in the plan of my life. Son, you don't have a future without me. You better hope and know that I'm putting you in my plan. That's what gives you a future, and I predestined you to glory. And I've got many ways to get you there. And I'm going to shape and mold you. So please acknowledge you're the create, creation, not the creator. And so he says to these couples, all right, you may separate, but here's your two options. Remain unmarried or be reconciled. Now, you know what? There's something interesting about being unmarried and not having the gift of being uh, self-controlled and keeping sexual passage. And you can kind of thaw out and kind of look for reconciliation if you thought that was the only option. Have you ever heard that line, I wouldn't marry you if you were the last woman on the earth. Oh, yes, you would. <laughs> yeah. Ain't lying to me. You're not that controlled. I know she's ugly, but you're the last one. I have few choices. <laughs> I I'll take you. I'll take you. I we used to always say at the Bible college I went to, it was terrible. But we said God made all made 90% of all women beautiful, and the other 10% went to our Bible college. And it really helped the girls a lot feel good. I said that at a college church, and about 80 girls walked out of me because they were in the church. I just was a misspent word. I haven't done any more speaking there. Then it goes on. To the rest I say this, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife that's is not a believer, and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Why? Now, can't you see this? In the early church, there was a lot of divorces, and this is where it was. I am a pagan worshiper. I go to an idol's temple, and me and my wife both grew up in paganism, no sexual restraints, no moral restraints, and we learned a certain lifestyle together as husband and wife, maybe going, you know, many other partners, a lot of all kinds of sexual mores different than Christianity. And all of a sudden, one of them becomes a believer. And all of a sudden, I know, because I pastor, you hear the other partner said, man, I lost my party girl. How's that? She got to running with this sect called Christians. She used to have no inhibitions. I could take her to any bar, any house of prostitution, idols, temple. Man, we boogie. Everything was great. Now she comes up with this stuff. God doesn't want me to do that. God is against many partners. God is against me going to the idol's temple. Man, she is driving. I can't live with a woman like this. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to divorce her. So there's many, many divorces in this church. And throughout the New Testament, and Jesus said it would happen. But 
He does not give the believer the option. If the unbeliever is willing to remain in that marriage, don't you as a believer divorce them. He takes away the option from the believer and says, if the unbeliever does not want it, okay. Because you can see the believer saying, man, I'm living with a guy, and every Monday I got to go get his Playboy subscription from the mail. I'm against pornography. Well, remember, he didn't get saved. I said he didn't get saved. And I say a lot of women, they all of a sudden go on a holy crusade that they're going to change their pagan husband. If he likes cigars before you got saved, you'll probably like them after. If he liked drinking scotch before you got saved, he'll like it. And he doesn't have to change. He didn't get saved, did he? And all of a sudden you're saying, I don't have to live with this. Well, uh, why? Well, he won't even read the Bible. He still cusses. Why? Yeah. He's still a pagan. He's still in them. Does he love you? Is he good to the kids? Is he willing to stay? Yeah, but I just can't stand his habits. Leave him alone. Poor boy's going to hell. They got to have a little fun. Yes. He, he doesn't like anything you like. You like prayer meetings. He's never had one in his life. He's never tasted that the Lord's good. Just know it. You got different tastes now. So leave him alone. And once in a while, a guy gets saved and the wife doesn't get. We got a lot of couples here. They come here that wife isn't saved. Husband's not saved. You know what I tell them? Be good to your unsaved mate. I tell Christian women, give them all the loving and good cooking they can stand so they can't blame your Christianity. You didn't become frigid because you became a Christian. Honey, I'll out-love you. And by the way, what do you want for breakfast? Be a good wife. Be good to them. Don't put arsenic in the toast. In a track next to it, prepare to meet God. No, no. Don't, don't do that stuff. No. You know, that's the famous story of Winston Churchill that uh, uh, he and Lady Astor always bannered back and forth. And uh, he, he was semi-drunk one time, and she said, you know what, if you were my husband, I would put arsenic in your tea. He said, well, if I were your husband, I would drink it. <laughs> and uh, they got into it another time, and he said to her, he said, you're ugly. And she said, and you're drunk. He said, yeah, but in the morning, I'll be sober. <laughs> See. So, uh, Paul's giving some sound advice here. You're getting it. You're slow. It's early service. I know that. That's good material. I had to read to get that. That was not illuminated. Uh, the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. Is that not amazing? That there is a saint. The word sanctified doesn't mean uh, they, they had sanctified utensils in the tabernacle. They sanctified a cow when they were going to offer it to God. So it didn't mean it changed them internally. But this, this marriage is not an unholy union. God sees it as, as good. Good for the children. Good for the husband. Uh, 
It, it's the remarkable testimony on the Howard side. Uh, my, my grandmother was a little short German named Yunt. My grandfather uh, on her side was a German Baptist preacher in the hills of Oklahoma. The Howards were just ro rowdy cowboys and... Uh, I mean, don't mess with the Howard boys. There's five of them. They'd hang you for a saddle, and they did, because there was no law in Oklahoma when they were there, 1880. But my little grandma uh, got saved and married John Howard. Nobody taught who you could marry in those days. Somebody that had a job, had some land, she got married, kept her pregnant, had 10 children, no running water, no indoor plumbing, and cold winters. And John Howard, like a beech nut, moonshine that he made regularly and sold, uh, liked to go and shoot a cattle rustler because they steal his cattle, but he, he felt it was his job to kill them. He was rowdy. He was, wow, uh, a man of the range, Cherokee County, grew up with Indians, outlaws, Jesse James, all. They lived right in Hell's Bend, Oklahoma, right outside of Locust Grove, outside of Tulsa. Cherokee County. How was Howard people? Mean, ornery. You want to get it on? My dad, grandfather served a year in prison for trying to kill a man on the streets of Wagner. So he'd get drunk, he'd try to kill you. So he served a year and a day at McAllister. He tells a story there that when prisoners didn't want to work, they had a cure for them at McAllister. San Quentin hadn't learned this. They had a uh, hole in the ground. They put the prisoner there. They put a garden hose. They turned on the water, let it begin to run in, and they had a pump down there. Unless you pump, we would drown you. Because the only way you're going to keep the water from going over your head is pumping. And they leave it going for 24 hours. They got it, all of a sudden an ambition to work. Because we're not going to feed a lazy prisoner. You got to work. Mean times. But this little German gal met Jesus. And she and another woman in that community would go to a schoolhouse every week and take their children. They both had large families, and they'd stay there, and they'd pray all day. They'd teach Sunday school classes to their kids. They, were like, they got into Methodism, and my Baptist grandfather said, you've lost your mind. You've got in with this wild group of Methodists. And, uh, but she was there and led about six or seven of them to the Lord while John Howard either laid up drunk or laid up cussing and chewing tobacco all the time because he could do whatever he wanted, but he couldn't talk her out of her faith. She wasn't passive about Jesus, and the children, when I go back there, used to go back there, they'd show you where Mama prayed, and they'd always say, right here's where our mother prayed us into the kingdom of God, right there, a little creek. Daddy'd cuss, daddy'd fret, Daddy's in jail, but Mama would be on her knees right here with eight to nine children around her all the time. Lived to be 91. You see, she didn't divorce him. She said, I could live for Jesus with a ornery cuss, and I'm hoping God will do something. Last too much of his life, he finally accepted Jesus. And that little German gal just stood there and waited on God all these years. Don't be signing up for divorce. If they want to stay with you, let them stay. Your children will thank you if nobody else. No marriage is easy. It's hard work. So he says, 
if that unbeliever is willing to stay with you, don't you initiate a divorce. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. It's a holy union. A man's unsaved, you're saved. The marriage is not bad. It's not sinful. Well, my husband drinks at our home. Well, pray God to save him. I know there's got to be humane treatment. You know, all families bring different things to their home. You couldn't get a can of beer in our house. You know why? It, it wasn't the Bible. It was just a mom growing up with a drunk father. And she was Irish. She didn't need the Bible. She just had a broom or something she'd hit you with. I don't need to pray about it. I've seen all the drunkenness I've wanted to live with for a lifetime. I don't need the Bible. So there's certain things in your humanity you can live with. That unsaved man can't treat you like a bar queen, and he can't drag you out and dress you like a prostitute. You've got some privileges and rights. You stand up, but do everything within you to keep that marriage going. That's what God's Word would say. Now, goes on. But if the unbeliever leaves, what if he doesn't want to live with me? Let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? They want to leave you? Don't put up any resistance. They want to leave you primarily because you're a Christian. And we, we get that. It seems to be mainly the men I've seen uh, more than uh, women. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to live with you. You've changed too much. I can't buy this. You become a fanatic about God. I, don't, I just can't stand to be sleeping with a woman that's in love with God. Well, this is what you to do. There's the door. Help yourself. It's your choice. It's not mine. And you let them go. And you're free to remarry in the Lord. So when you come to the Corinthian passages, he comes to verse 39, the other place, because the issue is not can I get a divorce, it's can I remarry. What are the bounds of a divorce that permits me a remarriage that God would honor? Verse 39 says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. That can sound a little discouraging the way it goes, but he's just saying it's a lifelong commitment. It should be. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. I'm amazed at how uh, believers, uh, when they are widowed, will go out and marry someone that's not a believer. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, I read a deal here on U.S. divorce rates. Uh, it says something here, the normal lifestyle of an American young adult is to live together for a period of time in a type of informal trial marriage. These relationships frequently do not endure. See, things, the playing fields change. Today, know this. I'm going to have sex with the opposite sex, whether I'm married or not. I might get married at 27. That's the average age now. But I don't believe I've been celibate. I've been having sex all along, and, and each other's on trial. We don't know if we want a permanent. We sure don't want any kids because they're a curse. We want double income, no kids. No kids. We're dinks. 
And uh, the current divorce rate, uh, 40 to 50 percent, on and on. What causes it? Uh, hey, courtship is so important. Uh, if you were widowed, do you have a right to remarry? Yeah, yeah, you do. Well, who do you marry? The first thing that walks through the door? No, only another believer, another believer in the Lord. There's, there's your privilege and your right. How many times could you do that? Well, I guess as many times. And it seems like the women remarry more because they kill off the men. <laughs> so, you know, however that works out, they're about to kill me off without any air conditioning. I don't know what happened. Uh, what a welcome. Uh, so, here we summarize Corinthians. Don't separate, but if you do, seek reconciliation. If the unbelieving spouse wants to stay, let them stay. Remain married. If they want to leave, you're free to remarry in the Lord. And if you're widowed, remarry. If you have that privilege. I used to always tell my mother, she was 61 when my dad died, and I used to always be with her on Monday mornings, my wife and I'd take her to breakfast, and I always said, Mama, when are you remarrying? I loved to mess with her. I said, boy, I could just tell lately you're wearing extra perfume, and, you know, I just get... If you only knew my mother, I said, when are you going to remarry a hot chick like you? You need to. She said, you listen to me. I've never had anybody be as good to me as your daddy. I don't need to mess with some old man. I, I don't want, want him fussing around me. I can make it just fine without a man. Got seven children later and lived with him 40 some odd years. Don't even talk to me that way, son. I was just kidding, mother. And there's a lot of you saying, I'll live with them as long as they live, but I might be happy a month after they're gone. Who knows? Life goes on, doesn't it? And it's not easy for everybody. Widowhood is not an easy assignment, but they did have the right of remarriage. So let's ask ourselves some questions. Should a divorced believer be looked upon with suspicion? How do you view divorced people? And I'm afraid too often the church, they're looked upon with suspicion. Why would we do that when we say every other category of sin and failing is a forgiven thing? Huh? And I put this, should a divorced believer be forbidden to serve in the church? What scripture would you use to defend your answer? And I've met people, I've had people ask me, you don't let divorced people uh, serve in your church. I said, no, we just quarantine them and, and slip a bowl of cereal underneath a, a, a door and, and tell them, you naughty person. You don't give the right hand of fellowship, do you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why? Uh, we think... Uh, one thing, the divorce might not have been caused by them. They might have had an unbeliever that divorced them. They may have had a, a, a husband that wanted to sleep around with someone else and never break off the relationship and left them with a broken heart, and they have a right to remarry. You don't know why the divorce. And you don't have any scripture that says they can't. They're forgiven 
we examine maybe the basis and examine where they are now. Nobody gets a divorce without experiencing a broken heart. You don't go out getting divorces just to make your heart feel better. It's a tragic event for all involved. Um, and then I, I put something like, I thought I'd just address, the Bible said elders are to be the husband of one wife. And uh, we've always had elders and we've always had uh, deacons, some of whom have been divorced and remarried. Do we violate the verse? Well, let me give you the views. Uh, uh, and by the way, if any of you want to study Matthew 19 and really know what it says, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, an article by D.A. Carson on Matthew 19 will be worth your while. You ought to Xerox it, just put it in your file. It's great treatment. Uh, some take the view that uh, he must be the husband of one wife. That is, he's not a polygamist. We can laugh at that, but polygamy is still a battle and a struggle in Africa and other places. A guy gets saved and has five wives. Which four does he abandon? Now, he's had children by all of these wives. Now, which one does he get rid of? Difficult issue. We laugh at it because we don't see polygamy here except by Mormons. But uh, it, it created great problems. Two, uh, he is to have only one life for all of his life. And I think most conservatives, that's probably been their view right there. That make it clean, not complicated. Uh, he must have never been divorced. We cannot have a divorced man ever leaving. That's uh, been a view that has been popular for years. He must, as a believer, be seen by the church to have become a one-woman kind of man. Turn there. I'm just wrapping up here, but I want you to see this verse. Uh, 1 Timothy 3. Some of you don't pay much attention to it because you never become an officer, but if you're a sensitive believer to the word, watch this verse here. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. And this is where I think we read this. Now, the overseer must have been for all of his life above reproach. He must have never been in trouble about anything for life. Because that's why we do the marriage requirement. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-control, respectable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, could a man ever go into leadership that was ever a drunk? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you shake your head or just speak up. Yeah, yes. I used to be a drunk. I'm now a pastor. Well, it figures, you know. I used to be a thief. Now I'm a pastor. It figures. No, I wasn't anything that was always right. I used to be a full-blooded sinner. And I did the sins of a sinner. But now I'm in the church being considered for a function as an elder. And I've come out of the Greek culture. I've come out of the culture of Crete and Titus, which is pagan and liars and all of this other stuff. But the grace of God has brought me into a state I've never been in before. This is what I've become through the work of Christ and salvation. What is that? I now live above reproach. I'm not a drunkard. I'm not pugnacious. I don't win battles by fighting with my fist. On and on. And I'd be, I'm the husband 
of but one wife. And there's a very interesting article. You don't need Ed Glasmick. Uh, I'll tell you sometime if you want to read it, a Greek scholar, that this is a present infinitive. At the time you're being considered, you must have established that you have been being a one-woman kind of man, which means you have eyes for just one woman in the wife category. I happen to see other women in this church. You don't have my eyes, but I do want to acknowledge you're there. You are people. But I've got romantic eyes and the eyes of a husband-wife relationship for just one woman. And many may not have grown up that way. They may have been divorced, remarried. They may have been a womanizer. They may have been a whole lot of stuff. They might have been at the temple of Aphrodite and been so immoral you don't even want to hear about it. But I've been saved. I've been washed. I've become known in this new status. He's finally become a one-woman kind of man. So we don't probe all the way back to puberty to see if they've been pure. We'd eliminate most. What we see is, have you in the eyes of this assembly come to be known as a man that can be trusted with women and faithful to one? Does that make sense? Jesus said divorce and remarriage were permitted for sexual unfaithfulness. Let me tell you a pastoral problem I run in a lot of times. Then we're done. Uh, Someone comes to me, uh, my husband and my wife just committed adultery. Uh, We're here, we want to see you, pastor. Should we get a divorce? What would you tell them? Um, Jesus did not command them to get a divorce. He said, I'm permitting a divorce. And I always counsel, uh, forgive, be reconciled, and go on. That seems to be the heart of God if you're both willing to do this. But here's where the hard heart comes in. This partner is unfaithful, committing the sin against this one, and they not only committed the act, but they're in an ongoing relationship of what they don't want to quit, and they're not sorry for. The hard heart is over here. And this is what we get in the church. It happens this way. She goes down and files, and this is what the church says. Well, uh, Mrs. X just divorced her husband. That's unbiblical, because everybody becomes an expert on these things, you know. Everybody knows, as long as it's not happening to them. Wait, 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 wait. Who got the divorce? Is the divorce, first of all, a legal paper or some hard-hearted action? The guy's sleeping around. We'll blame it on him in this illustration. The guy that's sleeping with the other woman, breaking his marriage vows, and doesn't want to quit. He got the divorce. He just doesn't have the guts to file. He's got the hard heart. Let's don't be blaming her. Whoever files doesn't mean they got the... I'm just going to legally see that you help pay the rent and help pay for these children you gave me. But you're the one with the hard heart is the one sinning against the partner. And the thing that really constitutes the divorce 
is not just the act, because I've seen many a Christian partner forgive them, forgive them, and save the marriage, and they went on. This is ideal. This would be the heart of God, because I think he's a God of forgiveness and second chance. But if this partner does not want to break the activity, they've shown the hard heart has taken over. Let's not blame this person who's had their heart broken, the marriage vows broken. Let's not treat them with a stigma for the rest of their life. You don't know why people have left partners. So please suspend judgment, lest divorce visit your house. We need to be compassionate, understanding, and slow to judge. We need the facts. And we may never know, but I just want to, I think this is how I understand divorce and remarriage. I know it's not a seeker-sensitive message, but that's written in Corinthians, so I believe it, and I'll teach it. I hope you'll accept it. Wake up before you go to sleep. It's too hot in here. Turn up the air conditioning. God bless you.